Hello, friends. Austin here. Fun fact, the main topic of today's episode, Midsommar, won four out of its nominated five Fangoria Chainsaw Awards in 2020, beating a stacked list of competitors for the top prize, including Dr. Sleep, It Chapter 2, Crawl, Ready or Not, and Us. Speaking of which, let's talk about Fangoria. Featuring exclusive articles about your favorite monsters and up-and-coming terrors, each collectible issue is sure to delight with fright. Be sure to check out the Fangoria Store website in the show notes for subscriptions and a bunch of cool merch. And while you're there, use promo code WOULDYOUDIESHOW for 20% off your entire order. That's right, 20% off your entire order. Applies to subscription and one-time orders only. Applies to the first subscription order only. Now, it's time to talk about Midsommar. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Be my victim. You are all my children now. Hello, my name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Woody Die Podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I'm joined by horror writer, director, and actress. She also does social media and marketing for Terror Films. Please welcome my friend, Sarah Klingenpeel. You got it right. You pronounced it. (laughs) (laughs) I get so worried. I get so worried every time. I mean, I could interview, like, Bob Jones. And I get, now I'm self-conscious. I mispronounced whoever that is, that name I made up his name. So (laughs) Uh, today we got a fun episode. We are, it's summertime and of the great summer horror movies we can watch. We are talking about one of the more recent, but an instant classic, I think, of the summer film canon. We are talking about Midsommar. <laughs> so before we get into Ari Aster's sophomore film, how long have you been like a part of the horror genre? I have loved horror since I was young, but I guess I started working for terror films when I was, I want to say, I think it was seven years ago. And that's kind of when I got a little more interested in the actual horror filmmaking as opposed to just being a horror fan on the outside. And yeah, and then I just, I always knew I wanted to create, but it just kind of makes sense that I would want to create horror. I, a lot of the other things I write that aren't horror specific are usually family type shows that have a spooky element. I love The Haunted Mansion from Disneyland. I'm really excited about that movie coming out. And so I've I've just always kind of loved Halloween and spooky stuff and horror just kind of came along with that. Awesome. I got to go on a tangent already. One of the famous Would You Die tangents. Do it. Are you a fan of the 2003 Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion? I am a huge fan of the Eddie Murphy version. I am actually, I will not hear criticisms on it. (laughs) You will get no criticisms from me. <laughs> yeah, I, I will constantly defend that film. I think it's it's a good representation of the ride. And 
it was also very forward thinking for the time in terms of putting a black family at the head of something so big and so prominent in Disney culture. I think they do it really well. And I'm sure there's stereotypes in there, but, but for the time, a real gamble on Disney's part. And they, I, I think it paid off. I think we tend to forget how wild the early and mid 2000s were. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm, I'm thinking if people today look back and think of like Xbox game chats from like Halo 2. <laughs> there is a lot of nasty stuff going. And I think I think some of that I don't want to use the word nasty for all of it, but there's definitely an edginess to the 2000s. I think Saw I is a good example. Yeah, yeah. Saw, that series. Yeah. Trick or treat. Hostile. <laughs> yeah. Well, and trick or treat's not like that kind of torture. No. But it's it's got grit, if that makes sense. Like these are mainstream studio movies. I don't remember if Hostile was a studio movie, but these are mainstream movies, especially like the Saw sequels being pumped out by studios. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think a studio would go near that in the 90s or even today really well today maybe because i think horror is in another peak i completely agree we are in a great era for horror although some people like to think we're not and always like well horror continues to like not die and it's just like well yeah we're the (laughs) the horror genre um constantly evolves but that's a conversation for a different time (laughs) (laughs) no i completely agree i think particularly with artists like ari aster and jordan peele and oh my gosh uh zap kreggers and everything (laughs) like there's a big i think the pandemic also helped people realize that they they just want to sit and enjoy something and a lot Mm -hmm. of times that that is where the horror genre lives oh yeah i do think if if we're still on the topic of the 2000s tone versus like today's, I think horror films aren't afraid to like go there mm-hmm. necessarily, but I don't think they have that edginess that the early 2000s had. I would agree with that. Yeah, because if you look at the Rob Zombie Halloween films and David Gordon Green's Halloween films, they're both brutal, violent, and gory, especially Halloween kills. Mm-hmm. But Rob Zombie's Halloween Halloween films, I feel like there's an edginess to it, whereas the David Gordon Green trilogy, there's a polishedness, a uh, yeah. classical almost sense to it. A more studio feel. Yes, whereas... Sure. Rob Zombie, and not just his Halloween films, but like Devil's Rejects and films like that. Like 100%. you watch that and it's like you watch a film and like you're bleeding from the edge. Like <laughs> I love Rob Zombie's films, by the way, but sometimes I, I'm not in the mood for it, you know? Yes, I completely understand. <laughs> um, there, a uh, gritty is a good word for his. Yeah in particular i think it's very very like he's just very brutal and i think like the devil's rejects is a perfect film to describe the 2000s that aesthetic although i do like the rob zombie films because i don't think rob zombie makes violent films to be edgy 
I don't think his films are edgy for the sake of being edgy. I think his films are edgy because that's the vision he sees. Yeah, he and he's very, very influenced by the original Texas Chainsaw. And I mean, obviously, like House of a Thousand Corpses is basically his love letter to that. Yeah. And so I think he comes from a backwoods background. I don't know if that's correct, but that's the vibe I get for sure. Yeah. And then like Saw has that kind of grit to it. Saw's a little more polished though. And I think that's just oh, yeah. the, the nature of the serial killer itself. Oh yeah. No, I think I 100% agree with you there. But like, it's insane to think about how like Saw 5 was put out by a studio. <laughs> yeah. And a studio wouldn't touch a film like that today. I completely agree. And like I said, I don't think it's a lack of filmmakers wanting to go there. I just think it's a bit different because we're talking about Ari Aster's films. Well, mid Midsummer, but I, I feel like Hereditary will come up. Yeah. His films go there. Oh, yeah. They don't hold any punches, but I don't think they're edgy or gritty either. It's a completely different thing. I would agree with that. Yeah. I have not seen Bo is Afraid yet. Me neither. I feel like a lot of people haven't. So if you guys are worried we might spoil Bo is Afraid, we not won't. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I actually, the it's only because of circumstance. Otherwise, I would have been there opening night. But I happened to be in New Orleans with my family. So I it just didn't have time to go, go, to, the, go to the movies. I didn't go... <laughs> It, it theatrical run was so short yeah and and it came out in a stacked april mm -hmm. i'm still trying to catch up on movies that i missed because like we're busy people are busy and i'm sorry if you're gonna put it against evil dead rise you know which one i'm going to see <laughs> yeah it wasn't uh, yeah so there was something else that came out I want to say the same day. Oh, it was competing with like Renfield. Yeah, that was out that month. Pope's which, Exorcist. Yeah, Pope's Exorcist. There, uh, there was some, I want to say there was something else that came out the day. And and I can't remember Oof. what it was. But I remember there being quite a bit of competition. I remember being a yeah. like, I know it got pushed back. So maybe that was not their initial plan. But it was a rough time for it to be in the theater. I think that film's going to find a home through streaming. I think that's where it's really going to find its audience, which that's a whole discussion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's hard for films to find audiences on streaming. We are living in a very turbulent time for filmmaking, I think. I would agree. So we're going to have to learn how to adapt because I think change is coming. <laughs> I kind of hope change is coming, even though I do love the period we're in. But I, I agree. I think we're on the precipice of something changing drastically. Yeah, it, I, I feel like now it's been a while since I did like my film history and film studies while I was at college. So <laughs> oh, yeah. I could be a little rusty, but I feel like we're kind of in that era where I think there's going to be massive upheaval in the studios. I don't oh. I think streaming's showing it can't sustain itself. A hundred percent. I mean, writers are striking, actors right. are about to strike. Exactly. And they're, I've, I've been on the picket lines. They are not about to back down. Like, Good. People are fired up and I'm so happy about it. 
and it's gonna, you know, it's kind of crazy. It's, it's affecting the entire, I guess you're not in Los Angeles, but no, <laughs> my husband's a bartender mm -hmm. and they like, don't see anyone at their bar anymore because people aren't going out because the economy's already shit, but yeah. It's even worse at the moment because so many people in LA are unemployed. And um, again, it's all for great cause, but it's it's causing a ripple effect. And the change it's it's been a month now, and the change is already astronomical. So yeah. I like seeing the change. There are downsides, of course, but I hope this I not even hope this will affect the future of streaming, the future of theatrical release all kinds of things like that. Yeah, because this current model is just so unsustainable. Yeah. And even if worst case scenario, industry implodes, whatever, the writers, the directors, the actors are still going to write, direct, and act. Mm -hmm. It's the corporations that are going to crumble. Well, they're not going to crumble. The corporations will always find a way to survive. They're like cockroaches. But... <laughs> You're right. But... It's going to be vastly different, just like when streaming first became a thing and changed everything. Yeah. And like, I think we're around the same age. We grew up near the end of the blockbuster era. Yes. Yes. Because we went to we went to blockbuster and Hollywood video when I was. a mm -hmm. kid. But I want to say that we had, you know, how Netflix used to not be streaming. You get the DVDs in the mail. Yes. <laughs> we i think that was happening when i was in high school like middle school high school i was around the same because i specifically have memories of um the ring coming in a dvd netflix yeah. netflix envelope and that was the first time i watched the ring all the way through and i was in high school i think at that time yeah it's it actually is bringing up kind of a fun memory for me because that was a way my family spent our weekends together. Like it would kind of be like, okay, let's go update the Netflix queue. Of yeah. What's coming <laughs> in the mail next. And each person gets to pick one for the next, for what comes next. And then whatever comes, whenever it comes is what we watch. <laughs> and sometimes it would be like, my parents did not censor anything we watched. Like we watched everything <laughs> and they they might cringe at that but i actually think it's one of the reasons i'm a filmmaker but yeah so like we would, it would just kind of be like we might get an oscar drama one week and then the yeah. next week my brother and i had like the animated movie that was coming out that we wanted to see or whatever <laughs> or the the pirates of the caribbean thing we hadn't we didn't own yet so we would order it like every other week i remember my mom she would be careful about what we rented when I was a little younger, but she's a huge cinephile. She'll watch anything and everything. When I yeah. got a little older, like I, when I was like nine or 10, I believe that's when she first showed me Alien. Oh, wow. I think that's yeah. a good introduction, though. It's a great introduction because once I started watching these scary, like these more intense horror movies, my mom was the one watching them with me. So... When I was a preteen and in high school, I remember what vividly remember her showing me Scream, The Ring, The Nightmare on Elm Street, Saw. I don't think she remembers showing me Saw, but I swear she showed so me cool. Saw. <laughs> that's a real that's going to be me with my kids. Yeah. So I think no, I think that's great. I because I think a lot of people are like, well, we don't want our 
now it's easy for me to say this because I'm not a parent and I don't intend on being one anytime soon. But I think a lot of parents are, well, we don't want our kids seeing heads rolling down decapitated are, you know, there are a lot of parents out there like, I don't want my kids seeing two guys kissing. And it's like, okay, if you want your kid to be ignorant, that's on you. Right, right. There's a difference between I don't want my child to be scarred by this gore at a young age and I don't want my kid to see love on screen. Right. And it's just <laughs> like, or you could be a parent and like explain to your kid that's like, oh my God. Because kids are cool, you know? Like, so I have to tell you, I <laughs> yeah. was, I just ended a nanny job to mm -hmm. to work full time for terror and i've been a nanny i was a nanny for seven years before that i could we could do a whole podcast on the way i feel about today's parents <laughs> you I guys hear that a new podcast is coming the way we feel about today's parents coming soon I, I have so many opinions and it is the thing i look forward to the least about having my own kids like is having to be in that parent world because it's rough and that's not against yeah. the people i worked for i loved the people i worked for but it, it but when you're in that world and you're picking kids up from school and taking them yep. to soccer and all that you 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 mingle with other parents even if you're just the babysitter and it's rough in in la in particular i think but it's rough we could t i could talk all day about that so i won't get into it but parents these days yeah i have opinions on that note midsummer <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh parents Ooh, for any, yeah for anyone listening who has not seen midsummer and you know what if you haven't seen hereditary i do feel like hereditary will be a part of this conversation there will be massive spoilers throughout bo both films yeah. especially midsummer since that is the topic of today's video I have to say real quick, I'm going to rip this Band-Aid off right now. I'm not a big Ari Aster fan. Fair. <laughs> Absolutely fair. I. It's funny because people in my life who aren't horror fans know how much I love Hereditary and Midsommar and how much mm -hmm. I love Ari Aster. And because they love me and they're good people, they're usually like, oh, is this something I should watch to get to know you better? Or like, do you recommend? recommend it and in my head I'm going I recommend it of course I love it but also it may not be for you and yeah. I am so I am not ever offended by someone saying I mean if you're gonna sit and shit on someone's work for an hour that's not cool but no I am never offended by someone being like not for me because it's a very acquired taste um the first I showed my husband Midsommar when we mm -hmm. first started dating and he hated it. He absolutely hated it. He was like, I'm not watching Hereditary. No, 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 no. <laughs> and then with, during lockdown, we were obviously trying to find things to watch. And he yeah. eventually watched Hereditary. And he loved Hereditary. <laughs> like, he was like, I love this. This is great. Okay, I see what you're saying now. I just hate Midsommar. <laughs> and I was like, okay, fair enough. It's, they're both acquired tastes. So I never yeah. force force that on anyone. I always warn people before they watch it. I'm like, it's a lot. And like, I'm not about that life where 
I'm trying to trash anyone's work either because I'm not a film reviewer. I'm not a film critic. I never I've never claimed to be one. I uh, (laughs) I hope people don't listen to this podcast hoping for in-depth reviews. And I guess there's some analysis going on, but I always approach it as a fan and as a fellow filmmaker. A hundred percent. Yeah, I am not a critic. I I went to school in film studies, so I I can kind of I can kind of be um in the academia world if I wanted to, but that aimed for me. <laughs> I actually I gained a lot of extra respect. Small tangent. I'm sorry. No, um, this is this show's all about tangents. So I, I I gained a lot of respect recently for the director Rick Roman Waugh. I my friend took me to a collider screening of Kandahar, which mm-hmm. is the new Gerard Butler film, and Rick Roman Waugh is the director, and they did a QA afterwards with him. And oh I'm so sorry. I, I did gain respect for him, but he told us a story about Jerry Bruckheimer that gave me mad respect for Jerry Bruckheimer. Um, He said when he was a bit younger um, and kind of green, he was, Jerry was sort of a mentor for him. And he went with Jerry to a screening of something. And when they came out, he was kind of like, you know, he was trying to show off a little bit. He was kind of like, oh yeah, they did this wrong. And he was criticizing Mm -hmm. a lot of little things they were doing. And I I will I don't know the exact words he said but basically Jerry Bruckheimer was like don't do that don't don't come out trashing someone's film they worked hard on that (laughs) and I'm like respect (laughs) like that is really (laughs) you don't expect people in that kind of position of power to say things like that yeah um again of course it's you know constructive criticism is wonderful it's how people get better but I love how he was just kind of like maybe we don't do that maybe we just don't do that. And, and this director told that story with such pride. He was like, I will never, now I will never shit on someone's work ever. It, you know, of course, constructive criticism is okay. But right. That was a big lesson for me that Jerry Bruckheimer was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> and it's one thing if you're like with a bunch of friends and you're like bullshitting over a couple beers and whatever, mm-hmm. but like, it's one thing if it's mother by Darren. <laughs> and we will always have our own personal films we will throw shade at whenever we get the chance. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it's not like you're going out and being like, Aronofsky's a hack. He should never write an art, make another film. Because like. Not. I love, I love Black Swan. Yeah. The dude's a I genius. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people out there that love Mother. I have no opinion. I didn't watch it. <laughs> I haven't seen Mother yet. I think that's okay. I, I think you're not missing anything. <laughs> but it's like, if I... I'm going to get hired in this <laughs> <laughs> But But the way I look at it is like, I think Midsommar is a good movie. It's just a movie I don't ever care to see again. Yeah, fair enough. So when I was revisiting it last night, I didn't rewatch the film i went on the dead meat kill count watched that half hour and then Good i rewatched one. two i rewatched two scenes just so i can kind of refresh my memory of it uh-huh. but at the same time i wasn't putting myself through two and a half hours of a film i don't care to re- put myself two and a half hours through again 
Yeah, it's, it's a lot. And honestly, it's weird because I've seen it so many times. It's a it's a comfort film for me. Please don't lock me up. I <laughs> normal. Well, as normal as a neurodivergent person can be. Um, but I I understand because I don't even completely understand why it's a comfort for me because mm-hmm. um, it's a lot it's intense and I of course the more you watch it the less intense it feels because you're yeah. seeing it over and over but for me it was more of a film study thing like that was the one of the first films I just wanted to break down into yeah. little pieces as like as something for fun not something for film school something for acting school or acting class I just was like that there's something about this that makes me want to break it down into its finite parts and analyze it and you know study it basically oh no I completely get that because a film that's a uh I'd, I guess I consider it a comfort film for me I can rewatch it at almost any time and I enjoy to break it down and see how it works as alien yeah and that's also a very heavy on upsetting themes uh <laughs> yeah very a late. very disturbing film <laughs> but but yeah i i think midsummer was good hereditary is the one i actively dislike oh i'm very interested to hear why i'm n- no judgment i also very i also curious. think it's a great film yeah fair enough i mean tony collette yeah no the acting in it is some For of the, the best movie. acting i've seen um, the cinematography is beautiful. There's such great tension in it. It what one fucking hell of a debut, Ari Aster. I know. Yeah, crazy. At the same time, I didn't like it. <laughs> Again, fair. I uh <laughs> I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but I'll tell my hereditary my hereditary my hereditary story, my hereditary story. Real quick. Oh, my God. <laughs> my brain just went unhinged a little bit. Um, <laughs> When it comes to Hereditary, I saw it in theaters. I did. I was by myself and I did a double feature of Hereditary and Hotel Artemis. Ooh, interesting. It was a fun double feature, but I saw Hereditary first because I heard it was like the scariest movie ever. Like the marketing was pushing it that way. And right. I'm like, you know, and um a24 this, was still pretty young at that point too. yeah so they were yeah. I think they were like we've got the next great horror filmmaker and we've got just nuts like people are gonna cry when they see this <laughs> in like 2018 i think i was like 22 or 23 i was in my early 20s and you know you're younger and you're like Oh, Hereditary is the scariest movie they ever ever made. I puff out my chest a little bit. I'm like, I can handle it. I can go <laughs> in, you know. So that's why I wanted to see it. I've seen all the Saw movies. I can do it. At that point, I've it. only seen the first Saw. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and um, I just friends and I had Saw marathons <laughs> in college. We used to do Saw marathons. It's pretty awesome. Well. Yeah, I, ne- I never got into I only saw the first Saw movie and I watched it in high school with my mom and I never watched the sequels until last summer. I watched all the Saw movies in a week. Um, back to back to back. 
that's such a great way to do it because of this is not a saw spoiler for anyone who's curious but there's a plot twist at the end of every saw movie and then in the final saw movie there's a plot twist that twists all of the movie plot twists and i like when i saw that i mean i'm sure if i had seen it a little older maybe i would have been (laughs) a little more like this is very calculated and whatever i liked it no, I love it. I think yeah. it's great. My mind exploded when I noticed that. Because the seventh movie wasn't even really one of the better ones. But that plot twist, like, knocked it out of the park. And yeah. so it's the, one of those that films were like, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. All over the Oh, place. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, back to my Hereta story. I... <laughs> I- you know, I go I I go in there with a chip on my shoulder. I'm ready to beat this movie. And it, it starts engaging me. It starts engrossing me. And I, I said spoiler alert for Hereditary. So yeah. I I'm digging the vibes. I'm digging the it's creepy, right? Um yeah. I'm I'm getting grossed in. And when the party scene happens and little Charlie gets her head knocked off. <laughs> Iconic. <laughs> that moment I was like holy shit this is legit I am in I'm all the way in and then that for me that was the height of the movie yeah. and as the family starts to descend so does my hype and interest in it a little bit but I'm with it I, I like the second act I like watching the family dissolve once again Tony Collette what's his name Alex Wolf he's yeah. the son yeah, yeah. I he is him. fantastic. I, well, I you know him from the Naked Brothers band when he and his brother were kids. Well, I was I wanted to make sure I got the right brother because I remember. Right, exactly. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. I'm, saying I'm pretty sure funny. we're the same. I'm pretty sure we're like the same age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was just kind of like, yeah. It's so funny when I saw how how seriously they both of them started taking. Yeah. Thing, and I was like, this is awesome. Like, chi- child stars, quote unquote, who who really loved what they were doing and kept at it exactly and like i so um i think he's an unsung hero of the film tony collette deserves all the love and more and an oscar nom but i want to make sure alex wolf gets his fair share as well what lost me and what pissed me off about the movie was the ending i'll tell you why okay i am engaged with this film i am I am I'm in it I'm being a good little audience member you know I'm paying up I'm following the story and and I'm engaged and at the end when the demon takes over Alex Wolf and I'm like okay cool it's a bummer ending no worries and then like I've done this before and and then like the one naked woman she she just explains the whole movie right there and that's when it lost me because I don't like when movies I get like the whole, oh, you think you're better than me? I don't like being talked down to. <laughs> I, I agree. I am spacing on this naked woman. It's, you are speaking. it's like a mo- I think she's naked. To be fair, I've only seen the movie once. And that was in oh, 2018. You mean, you mean Ann Dowd's character? She is naked, right? She's they were not, all naked. But she's part of the naked people cult. The Naked Brothers Band. <laughs> the Naked Brothers. <laughs> they were like, who 
who do we get to play this kid who eventually rules over the naked cult? The na- the kid from the Naked Brothers band. <laughs> uh, okay. So my memory might be a little fuzzy on it, Alan, because 2018, that was over, that was a couple of years ago. I'm just trying to think of who explains anything. And I think it's just, because Anne Dowd, who also an actress who deserves way more yeah. love than she gets. Um, she She's the one who said she make, befriends Tony Collette. Yeah. She was like the right-hand woman of her, her mom. And that part's those parts are cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, 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 you know what? I gotta rewatch it. Obviously, haven't seen it in a while. And maybe I should rewatch it too. Maybe my opinions will change of it. Maybe I'll be like, "This is the best movie ever made." Like after I see it. By the way, your opinion is super valid. I just am not remembering things. And it's like the big (laughs) thing I remember was listening to this monologue and just being like i know i watched the movie i know i've been here yeah like i (laughs) i was engaged and now i am not so and then the film ends and i'm just like what the fuck i'm I'm gonna go see a hotel artemis now and i don't remember that movie at all so (laughs) (laughs) i i forgot about it until you mentioned it but i just never i also just haven't seen it Um, it was a good movie a fun action flick but like I don't remember. I don't remember it too well. So points for hereditary for being memorable. <laughs> it's for sure that if you yeah. you love it or you hate it, it's memorable. Um, and but yeah, that's someone I, I'm still like movie thinks it's better than me. And uh, so I still I still have like negative feelings towards it. So I was hesitant to watch Midsummer. Uh huh. Because I was like. Well, Ari Aster thinks I'm an idiot. No, 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 I'm kidding. But uh, I was like, well, I didn't dig Hereditary. Why would I want to go see this one? And I remember I was working at a store at the time and I saw like an old high school friend and they were like, because everyone knows I love movies and I guess horror movies is kind of my brand now. But they were like, dude, you got to check out Midsommar. And I'm like, why? I didn't care for Hereditary. And they were like, well, it's different. You might like this one. It's really good. And I'm like, well, okay, I'll give it a shot. And then I didn't. Fair enough. And a couple months went by <laughs> and I was hanging out with a different friend and they're like, let's watch a movie. And I'm like, yeah, cool. And they're like, let's watch Midsommar. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. And I was into it and I liked it and it, it engrossed me and I was engaged. And then, but the difference the difference why I like Midsommar, why I don't like Hereditary, is Midsommar has this beautiful ending that doesn't end with the monologue explaining to me what I just watched. So when the credits are rolling, I am talking with my friends on what the fuck just happened because I am a little confused and I, but I want to know more and now and it makes me want to like. Like, you know, look up YouTube videos about it or even watch yeah. it again, even though I'm also like, I'm not watching this movie again anytime soon. <laughs> but it's a movie I like to think about. Right, right. I And it's, it's funny because I actually think that that movie is a really good example of why we still really need movie theaters. Yeah. I did not. I saw Hereditary years after it came out on someone's TV in their dark house. <laughs> 
but yeah. I, I went to the theater to see Midsommar and I just seeing it in the theater with a group of people that I didn't know. And I was by myself too, was an experience. Like we, we laughed at things together. We yeah. all collectively gasped when crazy things happened. And it was, I think that film in particular was a great theater experience. And I, I still think it's a great film on its own, but I definitely think it loses something on the small screen a bit. I think all just, movies do. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, but I think it's just the, the, the scope of it. Yeah. Like you've got these beautiful wide shots of Sweden. I mean, I think they filmed in Hungary. It's all in that area. <laughs> yeah. But like yeah. Beautiful, bright, wide shots yes. and colorful production design. And, and it's just like seeing it on a big screen is just like you're mesmerized, even if you're horrified. No, I, I completely get that. I'm lucky that, cause I did not see Midsommar in a movie th- theater like i said i saw it with my friends at their place but at least i still had that i saw it with a couple people okay that's good because i remember specifically there was like a bear and they just walk past this random bear and i was like oh my god it's a bear and then i love the craziest lines in any film are we going to talk about the bear and the guy's just like it's just a bear it's a bear yeah (laughs) His response is, it's just a bear. Yeah. And you'll a bear in a cage. <laughs> what? You'll love this. You'll love this. That moment, I go, it's a bear. And for <laughs> no reason, I just say, if anything happens to this bear, I might lose it. Fast forward. Honestly, they... <laughs> relatable. Same. Fast forward. They show the bear all cut up and they're like doing like the like taking the guts out and stuff like that so they can throw boyfriend into the bear. Spoiler alert, by the way, if I haven't said that enough. I think <laughs> and I just go, I, I was like, no, not the bear. <laughs> I have to, I know, I know people won't see this, but I have to show you my, um my Midsommar tattoo. Oh, that's iconic. <laughs> I a, love that. A bear with a little flower crown. <laughs> Rest in peace, buddy. Rest in peace to the bear. Fucking love bears. Um, you know what was a great theater experience? Cocaine bear. Yes. That was, that was so much fun. Um, I'm not going to. I knew it wasn't going yeah. to be as satisfying watching it first at home. No, no. I had to make it to the theater for that one. That is a theater movie. And then that is your drunk with your college buddies movie. Yeah. <laughs> like. Cocaine bear, like a little tangent, real quick. Another one. I love Elizabeth it. Banks, who directed Cocaine Bear, she was on like that letterbox. Like they had a letterbox video of like the four films that inspired Cocaine Bear. Uh-huh. And she listed Jurassic Park, The Evil Dead, Pulp Fiction, and Stand By Me. And I'm like, this might be the greatest list of four movies I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a nice, well rounded list yes like this is cinema this is cinema to me that is cinema yes <laughs> uh do you have a letterbox i do what is your top four i have to oh i'll tell you my top four and my top four are <laughs> midsummer is in there 
Yes. Very influential film on my life. The 1991 classic Beauty and the Beast. Mm, love it. Knives Out. Okay. Beauty and the Beast and Knives Out like tie for my favorite films of all time. Yeah. Uh, and because they're so different, I'm okay with that them tying. And then my fourth one is Jaws, which I think is just objectively one of the greatest films ever made. I think you could say it, it is objectively the greatest film ever made. Yeah, um, I, I would I would say that. I don't know if everyone would agree with me, but I... People I, who listen to this podcast, they've already heard my Jaws rant. I shouldn't say rant. I should say defense. My Jaws, um, my thesis. <laughs> it's funny because if you were to ask me my top four favorite... My, like my top four favorite movies is different from my top four favorites on Letterboxd. Oh, okay. Well, and I guess that's sort of the same for me. I was just like, if I have to narrow it down to four, this is the four. Because like I have a list of my 50 favorite movies that I change all the time. But my four, my top, my very tops have been consistent for a long time. So if you were to ask me my top four favorite movies, I would say it's Jurassic Park, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jaws and The Empire Strikes Back. And I switched it up on my letterbox because I don't want people thinking I'm, you know, so yeah. narrow minded. <laughs> so and that being said, my top four in letterbox is still a theme. So people still think I'm I'm narrow minded. But um, I changed it up to be Jurassic Park, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Alien and Scream. Pretty good. So so I think those that's a little bit different from three Spielberg movies and the, you know, the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. But I mean, I I love I love those movies. And Alien and Scream are in my top 10 anyways. So if I wanted it to be truly diversified, I would probably make it Jurassic Park, Scream, Alien, and um, Back to the Future. Okay. Because those are still in my top 10, but it's only one Spielberg film. And then, um, and then it's at least three different decades. <laughs> yeah. So, which I guess it was the same because Raiders and Back to the Future still eighties. I'm full of shit. Also, Back to the Future is produced by Steven Spielberg, so that that's not uh, going too far. Maybe maybe I am a little uh, a little narrow minded. <laughs> I think it's fine. I think those are films that a lot of people will be like, oh, you're a film bro. Which is so strange because I got made fun of for my basic tastes in film studies. I was about to say, but 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 it's funny because when those are films where when I hear someone love them, if I don't know them, I'm like, are you just like a great judge of cinema or are you being a film bro? Film? You, I know you enough to know that's not yeah. true. But I'm just <laughs> like, those are films where I'm just like, do you actually appreciate these? <laughs> or are you just saying you do? And I, I I think the film bro definition changed a lot, especially when I was in college. Because like, how, how, are you, how are people going to drag me for Jurassic Park and Jaws? Those are two of the most popular movies of all time. What are you talking about? You're That's so... why you drag me. They're the most popular movies of all time. It's When I say Jurassic Park is my favorite movie, I expect people to be like, oh, is your favorite Pokemon Pikachu? <laughs> By the way, side note, my favorite Pokemon actually is Pikachu. <laughs> I love that. Mine is Psyduck. 
Well, here's the thing. I also get migraines. <laughs> I when Pokemon came out in like what 96, 98, I think the show came out in 98. That's when it really blew up. Yeah, I was four years old. Sounds about right for me. I was four years old, too. 94? 94. What month? October. November. Oh, my God. I am still your elder. (laughs) Perfect. But yeah, so we are literally the same age. We have the same exact experiences. So you know why Pikachu was my favorite. Because we were four. Pikachu was cute as hell. And there weren't a lot to choose from. In that there was only 150. Generation. Exactly. 150 in that first generation. My kids that I nannied just got obsessed with Pokemon. We mm-hmm. did a trip. They, they have a new board game that's a trivia game. A Pokemon trivia game. I lost. I fell flat on my face because I was like, I don't know any of these new generations. <laughs> I know the 151st generation. That's all I yeah. know. Do you remember the Pokemon rap? From the TV show. There was a Pokey rap. like the one they would do at the end? Yeah. like Of Indigo League? Yes. Oh, yes. That was my... I couldn't do it for you, but that was my jam. But I... I, My kids got into it because I showed them Indigo League. Because it's on Netflix. Um, But screw you, Netflix. Pay your writers. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And then... And then fuck that... Um, cracking down on password sharing Netflix. Did you see Amazon posted or Prime Video, which again, Jeff Bezos, screw him, but there's no such thing as an ethical billionaire. Um, no, but Prime Video posted something about like, hey guys, you can share your password on here with anybody you want. And they roasted Netflix and it was like, I think I saw that and I saw someone like, Break, uh, it was like devastating news. The worst person you know made a great point. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Watch, I'm going to be on their picket line next week. Nice. Screw <laughs> you, but also that was a good move. You look, look, I mean, you, you, you got to give respect sometimes. Uh-huh. A good move is like a good roast is a good roast. Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Like, I, like I can be like, you know, screw uh, um, Disney for taking off their shows off of Disney Plus. Also, yeah. fucking love Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. <laughs> I I don't know. I'm just a I'm just a dumbass with a microphone. So, <laughs> but but you know, it's just like I wish more people would be less reactionary and more thoughtful. Especially when it comes to reply, like and like Twitter's not real, <laughs> right? Exactly. Like if I spend all day scrolling through Twitter, I'm gonna get angry and angrier, and then like I could be, you know, writing my next piece, um, not selling, yeah. WGA strong, <laughs> but but you know what I mean? Like I could be working on myself. Oh. Doing your own writing, as long as you're not, you know, doing it for a comp for a corporation, you're good. Exactly. We still, we still work those creative muscles. Exactly. That's, that's something you do, and that's different. <laughs> and it right. also gives you material for when hopefully these companies get their shit together. You know. I'm a, I'm just about to make my own company. Screw all y'all. I mean, that's kind of, I, I was. 
when I was working for Terror Films, I was like, oh, these these filmmakers that we have, they're not making deals with corporations. They're living on pennies and a camera and a dream. Yeah. And they're just they're just making what they want to make. And that was what sort of inspired me to make my first film because I was like, oh, I don't need anyone to give me this opportunity. I can give it to myself. And um, I think I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that soon. I, you so. know, I hope so, because I work for an indie distributor. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I mean, I think people I already this year alone, we've had a, a new film release almost every single week because mm. so many people are taking that into their own hands. They're saying, yeah. I'm just going to do it. You know, Hell yeah. I don't need or need someone to tell me I can and and we're seeing it a lot in the indie sphere particularly in horror yeah because it, it is easier to make horror on a budget I think in some ways um, and still make it pretty compelling and I think there will always be a market for horror yes yes a hundred percent yeah because so, you've got seasoned yeah. people who who love oldies but goodies and then you've got kids who are watching it at night when their parents are asleep because they want yeah. to feel something. <laughs> and exactly. You've got diehard fans. You've got casual fans. Um, and horror is the, the possibly the only genre where people want to watch ones that are renowned as being bad. Because, like, when you make a bad horror film, it could still be fun and entertaining. If you make exactly. a bad comedy, just no one's it. laughing. <laughs> It's hard, it's yeah. It's hard painful. to sit jokes that aren't landing, right? Whereas even even a poorly made horror film can be very entertaining, right? And like a bad a bad drama, that's just called nap time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, then God God forbid you make a bad superhero movie. <laughs> the end. Twitter ain't real, but. Uh, certainly will feel like it if you make a bad superhero movie. Yeah. I uh, I do not envy people in that world. It seems very stressful. You know, I actually have a lot of respect for uh, James Gunn going in and trying to clean up that mess. I say trying just because we haven't had a chance to check check it out yet. Right. Another thing that bothered me is people were just like really shitting on him already when he just got the job, I was like, guys, let this man do his work first. And then, just... can, then you can constructive criticize, you can praise, you can do whatever. He just got the job and he also dropped the best Marvel film in years. Yeah, I, I haven't seen uh, Guardians 3. Spoiler um, alert, it fucking rocks. Um, okay. That's I, all I'll say. That's fair enough. But I don't want to get into it. Right now, because uh, this is not a Marvel podcast. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're good, you're good, you're good. Point to make with that is that I, you know, even someone like me where I love Ari Aster, and Ari Aster takes yes. things very far, I have limits too. And I have things that, I have a, I have a l small list of horror, like popular horror, crazy horror films that I will never watch because people have, told me how insane they are and I've been worried about being triggered so mm -hmm. I've read the synopses to yeah. 
just to make sure I'm not walking into anything. And once I read the synopses, I'm like, Mm-mm, absolutely not. I cannot watch this. And that's, this is going to sound strange coming off of what you're just saying, but that's a beautiful thing about horror. I completely agree. Because the genre is, the genre should always be pushing the boundaries, should always be crossing that line, should always be pissing people off, and yet come out with like a PG-13 crowd pleaser like Megan. Yeah. And also, I do think there are quite a few films where people have taken it too far. I think it's hard to take it too far in horror because there is a lot more risk taking. But I always talk about this. So it's yeah, I absolutely despise Cannibal Holocaust. Mm -hmm. I despise that film with every fiber of my being. And full disclosure, I've only seen the first hour. Yeah, because I physically could not go further than the first hour i was like this is my third rape scene in the first hour of a film i'm i'm out (laughs) like i'm like yeah i know this pushes boundaries it's a great plot it's a great idea it it does shine a light on how horrible human beings can be but it's just indulgent in a way that i think is irresponsible filmmaking yeah and i think that's rare but I think Deodato hits the mark on that one. <laughs> and I, yeah, I, I will talk again. I could talk all day about my thoughts on that film. Uh, we, we're not here to talk about it, but <laughs> I, I, I think, I think it's important that horror filmmakers take risks, but I think your risks should be risks that serve the story, not risks that are purely to hurt people. And yeah. I, that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> I think with with horror, no, I completely get where you're where you're coming from. I think the interesting thing about horror is it's interesting because everyone I don't want to say much on Cannibal Holocaust because I've never seen it. I do not yeah, intend on watching it, to be perfectly honest, but I it's, it's always been around. <laughs> yeah. But I do think films like that should exist. Fair enough. With horror, that's a genre that's allowed to go too far because it figures out where too far is. For sure. Uh, of course, and, no, I mean, Ari Aster is a great example of that. Exactly. A lot of people think too far, and I don't, but that's totally fine. That's, you know, that's and like, not for me to decide. Yeah. And everyone's limits is different, you know? When we get into the more extreme areas of horror... Like for me, extreme is like the French shit, like martyrs and high tension. (laughs) Like when you were getting into these films, for me, that's like fucking extreme. Not really my cup of tea, but at the same time, I'm glad they exist. Because like for some people, that's not even close to their limits, you know? Yeah. And uh, I I do think it's it's always an interesting topic. I just don't think that anyone should be like cannibal holocaust is a great example because that film got banned all over the place and i think that's wrong i agree and i i actually as much as i despise that film yeah i don't agree with it being banned i i don't i think that's that's censoring art right right you know you're 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 telling someone hey you created this thing and also fuck you you can't you can't release it into the world Again, my my feelings are 
I'm aware they're very personal, but I completely do not agree with censoring any kind of art, really. Right. So that's where I'm like, like, yeah, hurting people, like truly hurting people. But I, I do think there's a lot of interesting conversations to be had and stuff like that. And that's why horror is so necessary. Yeah. A drama's not going to get that far. Uh-huh. Well, you know, Hereditary began as a family drama. <laughs> kind of still is. <laughs> oh, it totally is. I actually wanted to say one quick thing about Hereditary. That was another thing when you were discussing your Hereditary story mm-hmm. and how it shocked you and it you were really in it until the end. That was another, in my opinion, genius marketing campaign because they marketed Charlie as the main character. Mm, yeah. They marketed the little girl as you couldn't quite tell if she was nefarious or innocent, but she was very heavily featured in the trailers. And so it kind of made it feel like she was, if not going to be the main character, going to be Tony Collette's support through the entire thing or or be a villain. And so it they really heavily marketed her being in there and then, you know, spoiler, she's she's gone after act one. Yeah, she kind of loses her head. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I um I I do think there I like I said, I think it's a good movie. It's just a movie I don't like. Uh <laughs> And I think a lot of people think thinking a movie's good and liking it is the same thing. I agree. You're so right. They're different. So I don't want to throw shade at another Marvel movie, but I'm going to. A lot of people love Spider-Man No Way Home. Okay. But I completely understand why someone might not like it pers- on a personal level. Um, I could get either. And I get why so many people love it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a very well-made movie. In fact, you could say it's a badly made movie. With a lot of nostalgia. Yes. And it's fine if people like it, but the second you like criticize it, people are like, oh, how could you? And it's just like, (laughs) because it's there. You can see it. But (laughs) (laughs) but at the same time, yeah. And but it's like, but it has 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. A bunch of people have a three and a half star review of it that don't make it on the same level as The Godfather or The yeah. Silence of the Lambs. That yeah. being said, I can talk a bunch of shit about Spider-Man No Way Home and still give it three and a half stars because there's stuff I yeah. like about it, too. <laughs> oh, 100 percent. That's why I um something Letterboxd. I love that Letterboxd has the half stars. Mm-hmm. Those half stars are very important to me because I'm also an avid reader and I yeah. use the Goodreads app a lot. And I hate that they don't have half stars because I'm just like, there is a difference between a three and a half star book and a four star book. Yeah. There's a difference between a two star movie and a two and a half star movie. That, that extra bit of, of oomph or, or lack thereof is important, I think. I also think ratings are bullshit. <laughs> oh, of course they are. I'm sitting here. I'm like, I'm rating shit on Letterboxd all the time. I do it too. I do it too. Bullshit. People uh, are gonna rate my friends at some point, and you know what? Good for them. Exactly. It's it's so funny because <laughs> like, 
we're talking about theater experiences. Spider-Man No Way Home might be one of the best theaters experiences I've ever had. 100%. And then, and then I rewatched the movie. I was like, oh my God, it's not very good. <laughs> yeah, like maybe you're just like, okay, I enjoyed watching this with a bunch of fans. Yes. Watching it on my own doesn't do it, you know? And it's like when you're in the theater, it hides special, like bad special effects very well when you're in the theater. You watch it on your 4K television and then you start to see the green screen and it makes it so much worse. And and when you're by yourself and you're re- it's that's like a movie that falls apart when you think of, it's like a house of cards. Yeah. But at the same time, it does a lot of stuff very well. So I would still give it a positive review. Yeah. But I think reviews, well, good reviews are nuanced. I agree. I think there's a lot of bad reviewers out there that just like this movie wasn't good because I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And like your opinion should for sure be a part of your review, but it shouldn't be the entire review. And you should be able to articulate why. Yes. If the deepest you're going is the editing was bad. Well, why? You're the reviewer. Yeah, it's your job to know these things. Exactly. And I I think a lot of reviewers out there now just always want to go with hyperbolic rhetoric. Like when Jurassic World Dominion came out, which is not a good movie, friends. But when it came out, people were like, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. It's like, really? Morbius just came out. <laughs> really? This is the worst movie you've ever seen? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then here... No here... one's arguing that it's the best. No, right. First, you know... And he... And here I am like an asshole defending Jurassic World Dominion, a movie I do not care that much for because people are just being too mean about it. It's like mm-hmm. we go to see the dinosaur movie and we get the big bugs. And then they complain about Spider-Man No Way Home not giving you anything different. It's just like maybe you just don't like movies. Yeah. And also y- you expect the big blockbusters to be these amazing things. We're not in the 70s. This isn't Jaws. This isn't Star Wars. Yeah. These movies are designed in corporate test tubes, like little baby, like test tube babies. And they are designed to appeal to the most general of audiences. And that's why, like, they have really high audience reviews. Like, same with the Fast and Furious movies. Also, Ludacris is in those, so. That's fair. That Fast and Furious has a, a hidden weapon you can't knock a film that ludicrous is in and those are just the rules i don't make the rules i just enforce them they see and you know universal you y'all own jurassic world y'all own fast and furious you know what to do you know what to do mm-hmm. yes. uh-huh. i want to see ludicrous riding a triceratops into battle yes triceratops are, aren't very fast though but they're cool. They are cool. You could, but they could manufacture a really fast Triceratops. A Triceratops on rocket rollerblades. You just wrote my next film. <laughs> roller skating Triceratops. Roller tops. Roller tops, ridden by Ludacris. Yes, and the tagline can be "Roll out." Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, that's perfect. <laughs> I'm gonna roll out. Exactly. <laughs> but when the roller tops 
comes out with the the trailer is going to be like, if you ain't got no money, take your broke ass home. <laughs> incredible. Speaking of incredible, back to Midsummer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're here for a reason. Yeah. I do want to talk a little bit about Midsummer in our Midsummer episode. So I'll bring I'll bring us back home uh, just for a little bit. We were talking about how horror movies are the movies that push envelopes, that push the boundaries and why we need them. These movies aren't saying the like when they're pushing the boundary boundaries. Most of these movies aren't saying these characters are right. Like you watch something like Funny Games. It's not saying those assholes are in the are like the strangers. The guys in the masks aren't the heroes. Right. A hundred percent. But it's interesting when a film pushes those boundaries and you're like, well, I don't really know. So I'm going to ask, what do you think about the ending of Midsommar? Uh, specifically, was Danny right in the end to volunteer her drugged up, incapacitated douchebag boyfriend and sacrifice him? All right. We're getting into it. This. Yes. I think that typically when people talk about this ending, this particular film ending, they tend to oversimplify it. Um, like I just did. <laughs> well, you're just introducing, but but um I I think a lot of people are either um I've been on Midsommar discussion boards and you know, some people will go good for her you know and they'll, right. they'll praise her and then someone else in the comments will be like he doesn't deserve death for just being a bad boyfriend and like you said earlier that's not what horror is about right. you know sometimes the people who don't deserve these horrible fates get them anyway so out of context of the film i think maybe 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 not maybe we don't sacrifice people who should be brought to justice in other ways yeah um but in the it's i think it's such a beautiful film because he crafts the entire thing around Danny being able to make that decision at the end yes i think is why it's so important that we that she makes the decision off screen i think that's a deliberate choice because we don't want to hear her say yeah him put him in that bear we want to because she doesn't I don't think she does it lightly but at the at the point that she's at she has lost her entire family to a very tragic incident she is just starting to maybe heal a little and she's completely in, instead of her boyfriend letting her down easy or just letting her go he's stringing her along mm -hmm. when they actually get to uh, Halsingland, I think is the name of it. Her boyfriend is ignoring all of her, her instincts that something is not, something's wrong. Like she's, she's a very typical final girl in that way. I think yeah. a lot of people don't really see that about her. She's a very typical final girl. She, from the get go, she's, she's wary about them doing mushrooms. She doesn't understand certain 
cultural aspects, but she keeps them to herself because well, they're anthropology majors. So she's not being insane about it because she's the only one who's not there to study something. Right. So the story is super well crafted in a sense of by the time she gets there, even the the biggest Christian apologist can sit there, not Christian, but Christian the character. Yes. Biggest apologist for that man could sit there and go, you know, would I have done it? Probably not, but I get it. And I think that's the point. I think you're supposed to feel icky about it. I yes. Think you're supposed to kind of feel like, ooh, not what I would have done, bestie, but you do you because you've been through it. <laughs> you know, like I think there's a lot of empathy he grows for Danny that you can't ignore, even if you're condemning her actions at the end. And I think, I think another. For this oh, I agree. Movie. I agree. Yes. Well, no, I think this should be the ending for every movie like Sophie's Choice. Children in a Bear. Well, one, you you choose which one. Gets... Choose which one. Yeah, you just yeah. put one in there. Exactly. How fucked up am I? Just th that's the first movie I think of. Well, it's called Sophie's Choice. <laughs> it's literally <laughs> called The Choice Sophie Makes. True, um, true. <laughs> I um, understand why that was the first one to come up. What other movies need you stick someone in a bear endings? Cocaine bear. Well, I don't want to stick a cocaine bear inside a bear. That seems... No, but you the cocaine bear would stick a pick people. No, because then it would have to kill a bear, and that's not right. Yeah, yeah, this isn't French uh, extremity. Yeah, <laughs> I like where you were going with that, but the second I thought about it, I was like, uh, who do we want to stick in a bear? Wall Street mm -hmm. and the Wolf of Wall Street. The film itself. Well, oh, the, per the per yeah, I, I Leo's character at the end where he's like sell me this pen and then immediately i just break into the frame and i stick leo and put him in that bear i'm just like yeah the revenant part two the revenant part two funny enough will poulter is in both the revenant and midsommar and you just we just seen him in the movie you haven't seen i know he's like the main reason i want to see it to be honest i think he's a great actor he, he is a great great actor. The main reason why I wanted to see it was I like the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah. I do love the Guardians. <laughs> Stick Leo in that bear. Mm -hmm. That's a chant. Stick Leo in that bear. Stick Leo in that bear. <laughs> Maybe Will Poulter put Leo in the bear. Ooh. Puts Leo in the bear in The Revenant Part 2. Electric Boogaloo. Electric Roller Tops. Roller Tops. <laughs> <laughs> How the fuck did we get on this tangent? Uh, the ending of Midsommar. Oh, yes. Yes. I think it's a... I, I agree with you. I think it's a perfect ending. I don't think there is a right answer. And, and I think that's, that's what... And that's the right ending for the film. Yes. Because you can see where Danny's coming from. I don't think she would be right. Uh, is it wrong to put your, even though he's a gaslighting, manipulating piece of shit, is it right to, you know, put his drugged up, incapacitated body into a bear and have him burned alive? No, yeah. but the choice was him or some random person you don't know, like just a random commune member. I've never even thought of that. That the, she's probably yeah. debating, like, well, at least I know what his transgressions are. For all I know, I could, the other person, I could be sacrificing the nicest person in the village. And I think, I think the um, commune rigged it. Because oh, who, of course, of 
course they rigged yeah. it. They're um, not good people. <laughs> right. And then Danny becomes one of them, essentially. Yeah. Because I believe she, uh, my headcanon at least, is she stays. Oh, yeah. She found her home. Found family. But they are not, like you said, they are not good people. And and honestly, like, Either. that's how cults do it. Mm-hmm. They break, they find people that are already very broken down and yep. they break them down further. And I think it's a good almost psychological study of, yeah. of that. And I mean, we know from once once you reach the end, you know that Pele sought her out. You know, he yep. saw his friend have this very emotionally unstable girlfriend, emotionally unstable because of what she's been through. Right. And he goes perfect bait perfect victim right there yeah there and so he befriends her and he says yeah you should really come with us makes her feel included makes her feel wanted and even does that when they're there when that whole scene where he's like do you feel held by him he's like breaking down her attachment to christian and saying look at look at us look at the way we live you can tell that ari aster did a lot of research into how how a cult does that how a cult breaks someone down and brings them in exactly i think there's so much more we can get into i think we but we had very important tangents they were super important i gotta ask you the titular question of the show if you were drugged up incapacitated and stuck into a bear to be burned alive in a pyramid house would you die actually no that I was about to say, I think I'm pretty far gone at that point. There's not much I can do at that point. That's just like the most iconic death in recent, or one of the most iconic deaths in recent memory of horror. Another thing, I'm so sorry, real quick. I... I think, especially because Ari Aster always talks about how it's it's a breakup film. Mm-hmm. I think it is a fantasy fulfillment for some people, too, to see that. Oh, end. hell yeah. It's kind of like, I'm mad at my ex, but I'm not going to hurt them. No. I can watch this girl do it and feel catharsis for a few yeah. minutes or for two hours or however long. Two and a half hours. And, and that's what horror films can be a lot of the time because we all have our dark, horrible thoughts. But I'd rather let Jason Voorhees kill horny teenagers instead of, you know, being a bad person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, I think that's a good point. And I'm glad I'm glad that you brought us here because we almost went this whole midsummer episode and we almost did not talk about the blood eagle. Oh my god. How that's fucked up is that? Really fucked up so fucked up I, got- I just remember being like what am i even looking at i actually had to go read a synopsis yeah. when i got out of the movie to be sure of what i was seeing i was i remember i saw this i was like oh this is better than hereditary no i didn't i didn't think that but i remember watching the movie and being like oh we're we're in the fucked up shit now yeah like we're we're in it now there's no way out Something that Ari Aster, I think, is very good at is depicting death. Yeah. Because it, the way he does it, it, it's horrific. And yet there's kind of a, not a realism, but like a matter of factness to it. I, I agree. I feel like in a lot of films, death is heightened. Yes. Yes. It feels very grounded might be the wrong word. Yeah, but. It seems like a weird word to use in this situation, but it feels very real. 
Like in a lot of, especially horror films, deaths are dramatic. Yeah, yeah. And in storytelling, they should be. They're kind of a big deal. But the way Ari Aster does it is they're so matter-of-factly, like, once in a while, he he uses some theatricality, like an hereditary, when Charlie meets the telephone pole, or... In uh in mids mids of our where they eat the old people off the cliff. Um, that's not exactly what happens, but that was the funniest way to describe it. It's a really horrific and disturbing scene, and I'm just like, Yeet! and the range of reactions. Yes. You see the person who's just shocked into being completely still and quiet. You see the person who's like, "What the fuck is this?" Like yep. Simon, he's like. What is happening? Yes. <laughs> and then you see the Swedes who are just used to it at this point. Well, and yeah, that's what they do. Yeah, yeah. And then, but then it's also like the woman, I definitely was in the film the first time. And when the woman is like, we give our life as a, as a gesture. And I'm like, yes, uh-huh. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, yeah, a hundred percent. And I'm on board. <laughs> you don't want to but... get old. And have all those issues that you have when you're over the age of 72. Amazing. Relatable. <laughs> but like, you know, that was their choice too. Unless they were gaslit into it. Which I'm sure is part of it. And I think that's also, again, the, the film makes you really think yeah. about that. Like exactly. Kind of like, which of these seniors are doing it because they want to? And which of them right. feel... Like that's just how they were raised to learn that when you're when you turn this age, this is what you do. Right. Uh, so as long as it doesn't claim you earlier, you know, it's such a deep film. Um, There's so many layers to it that I, I appreciate Midsummer a lot. I really do. And just because it's a film I don't care to rewatch doesn't mean I dislike it. Oh, there are I think it's a very good film. I feel the same way where I'm just like, I loved that movie. I will never watch it again, but I loved it. You know, yeah. because it's just a lot. It's emotionally devastating or whatever the deal is. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people would agree with me. Like Schindler's List is one of the best movies ever made. Correct. Will not watch it again. Extremely important film. Everyone needs to see at least once. Once. <laughs> I know. But I like I'm like, I saw it yeah. exactly once. That was enough times, but I'm glad I did. And it, but if I'm doing like the Spielberg, I'm I'm going I, I would much rather we watch something like Hook. Yeah. Something a little <laughs> something a little more upbeat. Yeah. I was gonna say E. T., but E E. T. makes me cry. <laughs> yeah. It's so good though. Fucking love E. T. Very different from Midsummer. I think Midsummer is a very important movie. I think if you go in knowing there's a lot of things that could potentially trigger you. Definitely a check the trigger warnings film. Yes, but it is an important film. I think most people should watch it. Not everyone, because horror films aren't for everyone. Funny because you straight up said horror isn't for everyone, and I have a shirt that says horror is for everyone. Let me rephrase. Well, no, I actually do think you're correct. This This shirt is really more of just a shorter way to say to not gatekeep horror and no that, no and that horror doesn't fit a stereotype it's it's for every kind of person exactly i have i have friends that are very dear to me that will say i love that you love this i could never love this yeah <laughs> i love that you love it and you work in it and it's a big part of your life like that to me that's like 
you support what your friends love. You don't have to love it as well. Exactly. And being someone who's been horror prep podcasting for a little bit, I have friends who want to support me and they're like, but I don't, I don't listen to it because talk about scary movies. I can't really do scary movies. I'm like, well, we're not really, I guess we're describing them a little, but you know, I get it. Yeah. Um, people come to me all the time and they're like, I'm not that into horror movies, but I like your podcast and I want to kind of go into it. Where should I start? And I'm like, well, we I got to know where you're at before I tell you that. I'm not going to be like, oh, you want to get into horror? Here's the evil dad. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that's not a good jumping in point. Unless you're eight and you're with your parents or, you know, you're eight and you do it by yourself. That's an amazing jumping in point. Um, but <laughs> well, earlier you were talking about how you were introduced to Alien. Yeah. Around eight or nine, you said. Mm -hmm. I want to say that around that time is when I saw my first horror film, which was Poltergeist. Oh, and love I love Poltergeist. It's an incredible film. Like yes. watching it as an adult, I'm just like, this is so well made. This is so scary. Yeah. And I can't believe it's the first horror movie I ever watched. But again, I think it the reason it was is because it was Spielberg. Mm -hmm. Spielberg was involved so my parents were just kind of like this isn't a horror movie Spielberg's involved you know <laughs> which is hilarious because Spielberg did Jaws but I think that was the the vibe right yeah my parents were kind of like yeah you can watch this it's not going to be horrible and then we watched it and they were like oh okay <laughs> that was and, an so experience. and sometimes with movies like that I think our generation parents are like oh I grew up with Jaws and Poltergeist and alien and halloween because i grew up with it my kids will love it too and then we're like all like eyes wide and like traumatizing and they're like oh yeah i forgot those movies fucked me up too <laughs> uh, my parents i think are a little older uh mm -hmm. because I, I i think I, or maybe it's just that they weren't big horror fans um mm. but i definitely jaw like my parents recall going to see jaws in theaters and all yeah. kinds of so on that note, if you were in midsummer, would you die? <laughs> you know, I think I would die because I am not easily indoctrinated. And I think they only let people live if they're willing to be part of it. Like, like Danny. Yeah. And I, I would be a, a bit too resistant. I think I'm a little too headstrong. And I think they'd get me at some point. I think I would be of the same, but not because I'm strong willed like you. I think it's more when Pelly brings the people. Yeah. I think they were all marked to die except for Danny because he has the hots for Danny. Maybe. Yeah. And I also think that maybe he kind of I agree that he brought them there to die except for Danny. But I think he also had accepted that she could also die in the process if she yeah. was she wasn't willing to go about what they I think wanted. I think is one of those things like well I'm going to give her as many opportunities as she can as I can yeah. and hope that you know we can convert her to us and if she dies uh -huh. she dies if she dies she dies yeah getting real Ivan Drago up in here yeah <laughs> so amazing <laughs> but yeah, I, I do I think, think it was calculated by the by the cult yeah I would, I would for sure be the Simon and Connie in this situation, oh. which, I, which I think would be to my detriment. I think in other horror situations that might be headstrong, being headstrong would be a good thing. 
Yeah. But I think in the middle of the Swedish wilderness with this cult, it would be to to my downfall. It I think I would be like downfall. the Simon because I wouldn't be like the Josh because I wouldn't be there for anthropology because I'm not that. And I also wouldn't be a dick and not tell like my friends what the ritual was. Yeah. Fuck that guy. <laughs> I also wouldn't be Will Poulter and piss on the ancestor tree. <laughs> I love that he died for where he pissed. Iconic behavior. Let's be real. I mean, maybe just don't piss on ancestor trees. <laughs> maybe just don't piss in the wilderness where these people clearly have rituals and, and sacred things going on. You moral never of, know. Moral of the story, don't piss. Moral of the story, don't piss. Hold it. I'm pretty messed up in the head. I might be the Danny. But See? again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it as far as she did. I would definitely be the Simon because I don't remember him as well. I just remember him freaking the fuck out when when the old people um, drop it down. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be as loud about it as Simon, maybe. I might. Be. I'd, I'd probably be like, what the fuck was that? Well, I would be like, what the fuck? But. I, maybe I'd be more of a Connie where once yeah. I see someone disappear, I'm kind of like, uh-oh, okay, no, that's it for me. Well, that's cool. I'll get blood-eagled. <laughs> I'll get drowned. That's some horrifying, horrifying not stuff. Good, not a good way to go. But a good way to go from listening to this podcast is following you on social media. So where can people find you? <laughs> <laughs> I am at spooky sarah skeletons sarah with an h on instagram and tiktok and then on twitter i am spooky sarah skell it ends at the l because there's not enough characters <laughs> so if you just type in the same thing i'll pop up because like yeah it's just a, it's just a shortened version i think that's all the social media i have yeah do you got any projects coming up you want the peeps to know about yeah we we do not have a release date yet but we are in post-production for our found footage horror film. It'll be released by Terror Films. Hopefully, we're thinking early fall. So hopefully around that time, again, we don't have a release date. We don't have any of that set up, but um, we've been working really hard on it and we're starting to near a, a picture wrap. So that'll be fun. I produced, wrote, and uh, acted in it. And nice. the incredible Taylor Gates directed it. And we've got some great actors. We've got Hills Have Eyes vibes because it's set in the desert. So it, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's called, sorry, it's called Dry Spell. Oh, cool. Um, we, do have, we do have an Instagram. We have an Instagram. It's at Dry Spell Movie. And it's a little dead right now, but we're going to pick it up very soon. We have a lot of cool things coming up. That's awesome. So everyone be sure to follow Sarah, follow her film. Yeah, this follow has been terror a films if you love horror movies. Yes, terror. How could I forget? Follow terror films. If you just love horror movies, we have a lot of really good hidden gems. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, yeah, this was fun. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thanks again to Sarah for joining me and talking about Midsommar. Midsommar? I never did quite get the pronunciation, did I? I'm happy to announce that today, Wednesday, June 21st, is the launch for the Indiegogo campaign for my next short film, Spider. Spider is a creepy, crawly monster flick based out of my own low-key arachnophobia. This is the first true monster movie I'll be making, and I couldn't be more excited. I'll put out more details into the world soon, 
but it's going to star rising horror star Spencer Madison, whose credits include The Demons Within, Wolf Hollow, and Phantom Fun World. Spider's going to feature music from the great Josie Palmer, who longtime listeners know very, very well, and Spider is written and directed by yours truly. I can't forget, yes, the Spider is practical. I got a great crew assembled, and I can't wait to get started. Please consider donating, and if you can't, because, you know, the economy, it doesn't cost anything to share the campaign. Check out the show notes for the link to the campaign. Share it with your friends. Make a contribution. Anything you do will help so, so much. A reminder, I just became an affiliate for Fangoria, one of the premier brands in horror. I definitely recommend checking out their magazine and even subscribing. And if you decide to do that, don't forget to use the promo code WOULDYOUDIESHOW for 20% off your entire order. Another reminder, if you like my show and want even more Would You Die goodness, feel free to sign up for my Patreon. Bonus episodes, movie commentaries, and much, much more at $5, $10, and $20 a month. Check out my page now and you can sign up for a free trial on the $5 and $10 tiers to see if you like the bonus content. Any support you can give would be greatly appreciated. On this segment of I Know What You Watched Last Week, in which I tell you about the horror films I watched last week, I rewatched Alligator, Bad Moon, and Gremlins, and I also watched Knock Knock for the first time. Knock Knock is a 2015 film direct, written directed by Eli Roth. It stars Keanu Reeves, Lorenzo Izzo, and uh, is the English debut of one Ana de Armas. The film itself is fine. I have issues with the script, but it seemed like one of those movies where everyone who was involved had a blast making it, and that definitely showed through. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. If you like your horror films to be a little extreme and a little camp, I think Knock Knock's a really fun time. You can find the show's social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Would You Die Show. Also, now you can follow me on TikTok at Would You Die Podcast, where it's become mostly shit posts of gizmo dancing to random music I find. You can find the Would You Die YouTube show on the Three Wise Men Media YouTube channel, where you can also find professional wrestling, trailer reviews, and much, much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend Josie Palmer. Next week, I have a super exciting guest joining me to talk about one of my favorite movie franchises of all time. Hold on to your potatoes. Until next time, I'm Austin Torres. Try not to die.